Grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Luke chapter 16 verses 19 through 31. There is a a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen, living in luxury every day. A beggar named Lazarus had been laid at his gate. Lazarus was covered with sores and longed to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Besides this, the dogs also came and licked his sores. Eventually, the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell, where he was in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus at his side. He called out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in misery in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here and you are in misery. Besides all this, a great chasm has been set in place between us and you so that those who want to cross from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He said, Then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's home, because I have five brothers, to warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. Abraham replied to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. This is the gospel of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, our sermon text never says the rich man went to hell for insert reason. But the reason why he went to hell is very clearly implied. However, because it doesn't directly say that, people often assume or assign wrong reasons for the rich man to have gone to hell. So today we'll ask the question, why did the rich man go to hell and how can we prevent the same for you and your family? So our text begins there at verse 19 saying there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen living in luxury every day. And there are people who think that the reason why this man went to hell was specifically because he was rich. If you get rich, that automatically damns you to hell, they think. Except for there's a problem. Abraham, who's called the father of believers, was very wealthy for his time. He passed that wealth on to Isaac. Isaac didn't quite pass the wealth on to his son Jacob. Jacob, remember, fleeing under his uncle Laban, actually becomes a pretty wealthy guy. Now you would think, okay, he had that one son. Remember, he has 12 sons. Ten of them are really jealous of the tattletale, son number 11. Now, son number 11 is a tattletale, but he really is a role model believer. Well, they sell him into slavery. And especially when he ends up in Pharaoh's prison, you know, you'd think he's not doing so well financially at that point. Ah, then Pharaoh has that dream. He interprets it and tells Pharaoh, seven years of abundance, save up, because then seven years of drought. And Pharaoh puts him in charge. So Pharaoh becomes the wealthiest person at that time in history, in that region. And Joseph is his right-hand man. So Joseph becomes the second wealthiest person in the region of that drought. So, yeah. We got another guy who's rich. Oh, and and let's not forget, probably shortly after the the other brothers end up moving down into Egypt, it's probably around that time there's this guy named Job. And Job is very wealthy. And the devil comes up to the Lord and says, I beat you, nobody believes in you. And God says, oh, why don't you go try my servant Job? The devil says, bosh, you've made him rich. If you take his wealth away, God says, tell you what, you can take everything but his life. 
And after it's done, Job never does deny the Lord, but the Lord even restores his wealth. So there's another example, and let's not forget, then a descendant of Abraham through Judah, David and Solomon. Okay, there's a bunch of guys in the Old Testament who are wealthy. It must be a New Testament thing that if you're wealthy, then it condemns you to hell. Except for, let's not forget that guy named, another guy named Lazarus. He was pretty well to do, and he died. And Jesus came and, and talks to his sisters and raises him from the grave. And this is when the Sanhedrin says, we've got to murder this man, this Jesus. So Lazarus was pretty well to do, and so were his sisters, because remember, one of his sisters, really at the beginning of Holy Week, takes that jar of perfumed oil and, 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 and pours, anoints his feet with it. And Judas gets mad because that's worth a year's wages, and he wanted to be able to steal some of that money. Uh, and let's not forget, there was also that wealthy guy who was a member of the Sanhedrin, Joseph of Arimathea, who actually, because he was wealthy, donated a tomb that had been unused to the Lord. So the Lord dies a criminal's death, but gets a rich man's burial. Don't worry, he gave him the tomb back. It all works out. So uh, you, we can't say that it's because this guy was rich that he went to hell. And yet, his riches did have something to do with it. We're also then told in verse 24, if we skip ahead, he called out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. How could he recognize Abraham? And why could he call him father? Jesus is talking to Jewish people, and it is very clearly assumed that we would understand this rich man is a Jew. He would recognize Abraham simply because he grew up hearing the word of God. So don't kid yourself. He would have grown up going to all those prescribed festivals and going to the temple for the sacrifices and hearing the word of God. And if he did not live in Jerusalem, he would have gone every Sabbath day, that's our Saturday, and he would have gone to the synagogue and heard the word of God, read to him, and then explained to him. So in fact, uh, it, it's not because this guy wasn't Jewish. It's not that he didn't hear the word of God or that he didn't observe the, the customs that were prescribed in the Old Testament. In fact, when you hear things described, not that they had a Christmas or a Thanksgiving dinner, they had things like the Passover meal, but when he was observing a feast, if he invited you to his house, this was the place to go. He had, a, he had the best roast turkey, right? So they didn't have turkey then, but... Uh, and it wasn't that he didn't go to the temple and, 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 and observe the sacrifices or that he didn't go to the, to the synagogue. We've got to get into another big it wasn't because of before we get into the reason why. Now, we're told in verse 20, a beggar named Lazarus had been laid at his gate. And the way that's stated, it, it, the Greek word used literally is the word for throwing. It seems a couple of guys had enough pity on poor Lazarus. He's not able to walk. And they kind of throw him there at the gate. Good enough, you're on your own, good riddance. And he lays there. And we're told Lazarus was covered with sores and longed to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Besides this, the dogs also came and licked his sores. Now, to the Jewish people, the dog was an unclean animal. And you and I could think, if a dog's licking your sores, that's not going to work out too well. But we've got to understand here, the dog's the only thing he's got for a doctor. So maybe we could say it's the rich man, he never, sh he never shared food with him, 
And maybe, uh, you know, obviously he, he could have afforded a doctor some oil to help this poor guy, and he didn't do that. But maybe we want to excuse him and say, maybe he just didn't know Lazarus. Well, we continue. Eventually the beggars died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In hell where he was in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus at his side. Whoa, he recognizes Lazarus. Now, this is where a lot of people get the text wrong because, they, because he does recognize Lazarus. He does not. He can't claim, oh, I didn't know this guy was at my door and was so miserable. My servant should have told me. But a lot of people start to think, here's the problem. He just didn't do enough good works to save him. The Lord literally put a good work at his doorstep. Do good works save us? Well, let's look at our text. We're told, he called out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in misery in this flame. The rich man's kind of selfish here, isn't he? Now, we've got to understand his body is rotting in a tomb right now. When Jesus tells this account, he does it so we can understand the misery of hell. But kind of selfish of him, I'm in so much agony, even a drop of water on my tongue would feel great. So go ahead and let Lazarus suffer a few moments of this misery to give me relief, right? That's kind of selfish of him. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus received bad things. But now he's comforted here and you are in misery. Besides all this, a great chasm has been set in place between us and you so that those who want to cross from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Now, if I was reading this account and it was all I had and it stopped here, I would certainly think Abraham saying, you had your chance to do good works and you didn't. And even think maybe that poor man, Lazarus, suffering, maybe that suffering helped him earn heaven. But the problem is that's work righteousness. That's works to save you. An entire epistle was written against the idea of works. The epistle to the Galatians. Now, in their case, it wasn't feed the poor and then you'll be saved. It was be circumcised and then you'll be saved. But the whole epistle, Paul says, that's not the gospel. And if anyone brings you any other gospel than the pure gospel, let him be eternally damned. And even if we didn't have Galatians, John 3.16, the summary of the whole Bible really tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever feeds the poor... No, that's not what it says. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And I really want to point that out because it's called the social gospel today. But it's just another way in which human beings make our works earn heaven. The idea that we exist to feed the poor. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to feed the poor, but I virtually every week get a phone call and it often goes something like this. Uh, Lord of Lords Lutheran Church, this is Pastor Sherman speaking. Hi, I'm really behind on my rent. I've never stepped foot in your church. I'm never going to step foot in your church. But can you give me 2000 I think the most I've ever been asked was ten grand to help me pay my rent. And I always sarcastically want to say, sure, let me go to the money tree behind our church and get that for you. But I start to explain, I'm sorry, our congregation doesn't have that kind of money to spare. It would be bad stewardship. How dare you? That's why churches exist. That's the social gospel. That's not the reason why we exist. So it's not wrong to help the poor. But there's a bigger reason why he would not help Lazarus. So after verse 26, where he's told, you know, you can't cross over and, and Lazarus can't cross over to you. At verse 27, he said, then I beg you, father, send him to my father's home because I have five brothers. 
to warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Whatever it is this rich man has done that has sent him to hell, his five brothers are doing the same exact thing. And now we get to where the problem is in verse 29. Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. What does he mean, we have Moses and the prophets? Now, as Jesus speaks this account, the New Testament is literally being spoken. And it'll be 30 years later before Matthew start, writes the first gospel. So uh, the New Testament doesn't exist yet. It's unfolding. But at that time, what you and I call the Old Testament was all the scriptures they had. And it told them everything they needed to know to be saved. And they often called that Moses and the prophets because Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. The prophets wrote the rest. And yeah, Psalms, Job, and uh, Proverbs. There's a little bit in between, but it was, kinda, it, it was considered all part of that. So really, Abraham says, they have the word of God, let them listen to it. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes out to them, they will repent. Why is this man's brothers heading to hell? Why did this man end up in hell? Remember I told you earlier, this is a Jewish guy. He grew up, listen, he grew up going to the synagogue, going to the temple. He had the word of God. But, you know, in the old Charlie Brown cartoons, when the teacher talks, how the trumpet would go, wah, 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 wah. That's basically what he heard. Maybe it was boring to him. Maybe his, and we know that his mind was on something else. And do you hear the audacity this man has? It's the word of God that's going to save them. You've got to listen to it. And he argues. He's in hell and he argues. No, the word of God is not enough. Verse 31, Abraham replied to them, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets... They will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. No, you're wrong. God's word is not enough to save somebody from hell. They need a miracle. They need, you know, uh, uh, kind of like in, in a Christmas story with, uh, that Charles Dickens wrote where they say, Jacob Marley was as dead as a doornail. And then uh, D Jacob Marley shows up and the ghost's worn and they fix Ebenezer Scrooge's problem. He's saying that's what they need. And remember when they, the disciples thought Jesus was dead and how it scared Ah, it's a ghost! If they have the shock and awe of somebody showing up, that'll do it. But this word stuff, that's not enough. And Abraham's response is no. If they're not going to listen, they won't listen even if someone does rise from the dead. And we know that's the case if we want to rely on the shock and awe method. Because someone did die and rise from the dead. The Sanhedrin, as I mentioned earlier, when Jesus raises Lazarus, that should have been a pretty good indicator I'd also mention John 3.16. Remember, Jesus' conversation that is John chapter 3, that took place with another member of the Sanhedrin three years prior to his death with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus began that conversation not saying I, but we. We know that you are sent from God because no one can do the miracles you're doing unless he was sent by God. Nicodemus was talking about the Sanhedrin. They knew when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, they already knew he was sent by God. But you know what? Even though they were supposed to be watching over the word of God, it didn't matter. They loved their positions more than they loved God. They loved money more than they loved God. They didn't care to listen to the word either. And so when Jesus, they think they've murdered him. We know Jesus gave his life. But what happens when Jesus rises from the grave? Do they repent? No. Nope. The law doesn't work that way. Instead, 
They bribed the Roman guards to lie to cover the whole thing up. So it was clearly that the rich man did not love God. Even though he was raised in a culture that was designed so that he would hear that word, because he didn't love God, he didn't love the word. And because he didn't love the word, it went in one ear and out the other. And because of that, then, when he saw a man who he was quite capable of helping, he was unable to have compassion because he was too busy serving what took the place of God in his heart, his wealth. Brothers and sisters in Christ, the word of God, as we know, can be divided into two messages. The law. The law damns us. The law is scary. The law always accuses. The law is always there saying, there is your sin. The purpose of the law is to terrify us. It tells us what holiness is, but we're not holy in and of ourselves. So it rips our heart wide open and convicts us of our sin. That's what the law does. And if that were the end of the story, we would be in trouble. God sends somebody to us with the word to tell us, you cannot do enough good works to be saved. You're too sinful. And so God became a man and he did all the good works. He suffered every temptation, but he never once fell. He went to that cross and he spilled his blood to wash your sins away. And only the blood of the God-man would be precious enough to wash every one of your sins and every one of my sins and every one of the world's sins away. The law makes ten demands, but it will never empower you to complete it. It just says, yeah, you screwed up again, you're damned. The good news of salvation in Christ makes one demand. It demands that you believe it. And even our faith isn't the good work we do in order to be saved because we could not make ourselves come to believe. We're dead in our sin. And so God sends somebody to us with the message, or like in my case, as an infant, sent Christian parents to take me to the baptismal font. And the Holy Spirit works through that word, and he enters the heart and gives birth to a new person. When you have the new person... You have the faith. And it's by that faith that then you are, pat yourself on the back in a, in a very good way, you are here listening to the word of God today because you love the Lord. And it's put in you a love to hear the word, a love to come and confess your sins as we did at the beginning of the service and be assured again that the blood of Christ has washed you free and you are a child of God. And so let's make a few applications about that. Oftentimes we think God's word is wrong. There are things in God's word that can be very hard for, uh, if we want to say, uh, evangelism. Closed communion, closed communion, fellowship doctrine. If, and too many times in history people have said, if we just ignore this part of God's word, then we'll be good to go. But then, we think, then we're thinking we know better than God, just like that rich man. Now, I've got to be careful how I say what I'm about to say because when I first entered into the ministry, I was blessed that many an experienced pastor told me, Fred, I can't bring one person into faith, but I can certainly chase them away from my church. What do they mean? If somebody came in, a visitor, and we, we totally ignored them, did nothing, maybe even wished they weren't here and acted like it, let it be expressed, of course it wouldn't be a shock if they never came back, Right? But it's when, we, when we are privileged to share the word of God, we also recognize it's the Holy Spirit that converts them. We don't have to argue them into believing. And so we've got to be careful that it's not that we have gourmet Lutheran coffee 
or that we have service at the exact right time, or that we meet in the right building, or that we have enough cushions in our chairs. Now, like I said, we could go out of the way to make these things painful. And I could even go out of my way to make my sermons painfully boring and wonder why people don't show up too, right? Uh, Literally, the Apostle Paul preached all night, and one guy fell asleep and fell to his death. But those aren't the things that convert. It's the Word of God. And it's surprising when a person loves the Word of God. As the early Christian church used to have to meet in, in the catacombs where the dead were buried so that they wouldn't be persecuted by the government, what they will endure. So if we think that we need fireworks and miracles and large displays of wealth, well, that's what the rich man thought, and he was wrong. It's the Holy Spirit working through the word. When we want to convert with the thunder of the law, with the shock treatment, if we just pound them hard, the law shows us our sin. The law does not give us a new heart. That again is the work of the gospel. And that is where the Holy Spirit gives us the new man. Now you've got to be careful too in congregations. Like I said, this guy grew up hearing the word of God. He was Jewish. And we can have spoiled brats like that in our congregation who turn around and I need a church that does this for me and that for me and that for me and I need this kind of entertainment and this kind of gourmet coffee and also make sure you got a cappuccino bar and I want to replace with, with couches and the church needs... And oftentimes I, I've met, and since I've been in the ministry, more than one person like this and you say, and what are you doing for your church that they should give these things to you? Oh, that's a whole other story. But you know the sad thing is what they need is the word of God. And God privileges you and I. So, you know, why did the rich man go to hell? It's because he did not love the word of the Lord. He let something else take that place. How can you prevent the same for you and your family and friends? It is Christ who saves us. And that leads us to love his word. And that love leads us to share his word. And that love then leads us to share, not only to share his word, but to love our fellow man. And so the rich man went to hell because he did not have a love for the Lord or for the word, for his word. So he missed it, even though it was there regularly for him. And for you and I, we know that Jesus is our savior. That's the big thing. And so we share it and we rejoice to come to it and be nourished, nourish our new man through it. Amen. And now the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.